Hello and welcome to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry. We continue season 9 where we are looking at Oscar winning films, more specifically best picture winners. And for today's episode we're going to look at one of the highest rated sequels in history. And that is Francis Ford Coppola's The Godfather Part 2. Based on a book by Mario Puzo and starring a star-studded cast including Al Pacino, Robert Duvall, Diane Keaton, John Cazale, Michael Gazzo, Lee Strasberg, Talia Shire and Robert De Niro. Well, where do I begin with such a stimulating historic movie that goes against the rule that the original is always the best? A film that genuinely evokes true and brilliant filmmaking with effortless character development, significant stories, and of course what most stories thrive on to live, conflict. In this particular movie, a family conflict mixed between characters we have come to know like family from the Oscar-winning first movie. By the way, or if you want to listen to the first Godfather podcast, tune into my debut episode of Season 3 where I take a look at the original, but right now we're going to have a look at part two where part two differs is the structure of the storytelling and most importantly not repeating what we saw in the first movie now it could have easily have been a reiteration of the first a son living up to the father's status as don head of the mafia family and dictating orders offering people pe- offering offers people can't refuse and acting as cool as cucumber while dictating violent and empathetic acts of violence to his enemies but Coppola had a brain and knew what people wanted to see. He knew what they wanted to, you know, he knew they wanted something different. They didn't want to see the first movie again. Something fresh. Something that hadn't been really done before. First thing to know is Francis Ford Coppola had a horrible time directing The Godfather and didn't want to do it. He simply just didn't want to do a sequel. He told the producers, look, pick another director. And he suggested Martin Scorsese, who they rejected. So after that, they begged Coppola and he said, okay, look, fine. I'll do it on a few conditions. And bear in mind, he was basically fired like seven times during the first movie and still managed to come up with an Oscar-winning picture. So what the hell could he do if he was left alone? So he had a few conditions if he was going to don the director's chair for the next next chapter he was given a mercedes-benz limousine from paramount pictures as a reward for the success of godfather that was the first thing basically an apologetic gift saying we're sorry you were right well done he was also said that if he was going to do the second movie he would be allowed to direct his own script which means he'd be left alone to do the godfather part two how he wanted to uh, which is this 1974 movie that came out. He also wanted to direct one of his own movies called The Conversation, um, which is a fantastic movie, and also given permission to direct a production for the San Francisco Opera. And he would be also be given permission to write a screenplay for The Great Gatsby, and most importantly, the second Godfather movie, which would interconne- which would be interconnected with the first movie with the intention of later showing them together. And he did all of that in two years. And they accepted, of course, and he did it. Crazy, ambitious man. And that's why the second may be considered better than the first. The narrative structure of the juxtaposition of the two stories, one Michael Corleone taking the realms of his father's empire, and the other showing Don Vito at the same age as Michael starting the empire, led by an unknown at the time, Mr. Robert De Niro. The great Robert De Niro himself went on to win his first Oscar for Best Supporting Act and truly putting his unfamiliar name out there in the eyes of everyone watching Hollywood, becoming arguably one of the best and known actors in the world. These two stories play a pivotal part of why this film was so successful, showing the depths of Vito Corleone whilst interlinking our emotions with what is happening in the current state with Michael leading the family after his father's death from the first movie. It's in this interweaving story that this movie supersedes its success simply because it's a completely different movie. However, 
we're more familiar with the characters, A, because we've seen the first movie, and B, because Godfather Part 2 is ultimately two separate stories merged together. The sequel doesn't continue the journey in the classic sense like most sequels, like Lethal Weapon continuing on the buddy comedy, or Die Hard getting John McClane into another situation or another opponent for Rocky or Creed. But this sequel has real depth because it takes a step back whilst also gradually going forward, something a sequel never did before this. So I'm going to talk about the newcomer to the Godfather franchise, which is Robert De Niro, a little bit who, you know, you know, he stole the movie, I think. I think he's the, you know, he's not the main character, but he definitely is acting like he is, which is uh, exactly how you want to act in the movie industry. Um, so, yeah, he went and lived in Sicily for three months to perfect the Sicilian dialect in order to play Vito Corleone. Almost all of this dialogue in his movie, I think, is in fact Sicilian, which means that Robert De Niro is one of only seven actors in the Academy Award winners uh, for an acting role where the majority of the language spoken isn't English. I think others include Benicio Del Toro from Traffic, Penelope Cruz, Sophia Loren, and also Christoph Waltz, most famously for Inglorious Bastards, where he speaks four languages. Now... What is interesting about this is that Robert De Niro stole the show, won an Oscar for it, kickstarted his road to becoming the biggest actor in the world. And the movie that did that for him is meant to be based on a novel by Mario Puzo. But nowhere in the novel does it have any scenes about a young Vito Corleone. Okay, there's like one chapter in the book devoted to his youth and adolescence, but the novel revolves around Michael and his family. So an interesting turn of events, and as you remember, it was one of Francis Ford Coppola's conditions to do this sort of structure, and it paid off. So I guess where people assume that Robert De Niro owes Martin Scorsese because of his successful career, well, maybe it's more that Francis, uh, maybe he owes Francis Ford Coppola more than Marty, but hard to say, really. He actually saw De Niro in a Scorsese movie, uh, Mean Streets, great film, and that's how he decided he wanted De Niro for a big role in part two. So maybe it was Scorsese, who knows, but De Niro actually auditioned for a role in the first movie, but was rejected. But Coppola remembered how good he was on the audition and, you know, brought him back for playing Vito Corleone, a role famously played by Marlon Brando in the first movie. It's just funny how things work out. So also Marlon Brando was scheduled to return to play a younger version of himself, thinking he could play a younger version of himself. He remembers, um, you know, he thought, you know, v, you know, Marlon Brando is a method actor. He could, you know, play any age. But um, he remembered Robert De Niro's audition from the first movie. And he thought, Jesus, yeah, I'm casting Robert De Niro. And he didn't even offer it to Brando. Uh, whether he would have accepted or not is also debatable too, but you never know. He actually did offer to, um, he did say, look, I'll reprise my role in the flashback scene at the end of the movie where they're all having dinner together, uh, you know, where the siblings are gathered around the table. And it was planned to go ahead and he accepted the role, but he didn't turn up on the day of filming. And so they just shot the scene without him, which was a bit, uh, you know, unprofessional, some would say. Probably something to do with the way Paramount Pictures treated him during the first movie, who knows. So, two things that's quite interesting when Robert De Niro won his Oscar for playing Vito Corleone. First, he became the only actor to win an Oscar for taking over another actor's Oscar-winning performance. It was somewhat replicated recently when Joaquin Phoenix won the Oscar for playing the Joker. So I think Heath Ledger also won, but that's a great area since Jared Leto had a stint before Joaquin Phoenix did, where and, and you know, and other actors have played um, the Joker five, I think. Whereas Robert De Niro played the younger version of him literally two years later, and no one else has even done it since. So, I think it's uh, I think it's something that he's only done, in my opinion. 
Others have been nominated for playing the same role, like Jeff Bridges playing Rooster Cogburn in True Grit for a role John Wayne won his only Oscar for. But yeah, I mean, De Niro is the first and technically the only, if I'm being completely honest. It's not a hard feat, really, to reprise an Oscar-winning performance on a fictitious character and win another Oscar for that character. But, you know, it's just being Robert De Niro, isn't he? And the second thing is that both actors that played Vito Corleone, Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro, were not present when they won the award at the Academy Awards. So one was protesting against the Oscars with their treatment of the native Indians, which is why he has a massive issue with Paramount Pictures. Probably why he didn't turn up for the scene in the movie uh, for the part two. Um, and Robert De Niro was actually busy filming, so uh, Coppola accepted the award for him. And I found out the other day as well that The Godfather Part 2 is the only film to win an Oscar with Roman numerals in its title, which is an impressive thing to have and quite fit and seem in the film is very heavily Italian. So... In the uh, Blu-ray DVD, uh, Blu-ray commentary, um, which is an early thing to do, but I don't care. Coppola claims that The Godfather Part Two is the first numbered sequel in film history. So basically, like, you know, Lethal Weapon Two or Die Hard Two. Well, Godfather Part Two was the first sequel to have a number in it as well. So it was the first one to do that, and he claims that in a DVD in the DVD commentary, but. Someone came out and I did a bit of research and someone said, no, actually, there's a British film called Quartermass 2, which was in the 19, 1957. So beat it to the punch. And it's fact, the first one. So 1957. So like by like 15 years as well. So quite a bit of a lengthy time. But Godfather Part 2 may be the first US film sequel to use numbering. So it has that claim for fame. Not that it needs any more claim for fame. It's, I mean, one of the best films ever made. So it was the first sequel to win the Oscar, not the only one. One other one has won it, and that was in 2003 when Return of the King won for Best Film. I believe it's the third movie, not the second, so yeah, you can deliberate about that, but it's still a sequel. However, Godfather Part Two is the only sequel to get acting nominations, five to be exact. I mean, Robert was the only one to win, as we found out, but it was the first sequel to be indicted into the National Film Registry. It was a long time, the oldest sequel in there, until only recently did they put Bride of Frankenstein in there, which came out in 1935. I mean, this film is on top of its game. I don't need to tell you how big this film is, and it's a film that people should see. I think people have heard of this film. People probably know the quotes, but they don't know it's from this film. I mean, it's of course uh, on the 1001 movies you must see before you die. It was the final film of Faye Spain. It features the only nominated performance of Lee Strasberg and Michael Gazza. It was a debut film for actresses Maria Carter and Kathleen Bella. It was only, you know, it was also one of the five films that John Cazale was in before he died of cancer. All of the films he appeared in either won Best Picture or was nominated for it. And they all involved Robert De Niro, Al Pacino and Coppola. My favorite one is actually The Deer Hunter. I have a podcast on that as well. Have a listen to that. I mean, the film is voted fifth in Total Film's 100 Greatest Films of All Time. It's rated third on IMDb's top 200 and films, uh, 250 films ever, sitting only behind its predecessor and The Shawshank Redemption. The Godfather Part Two. I mean, it, it was an extraordinary feat to make sure it lived up to the expectations of the first movie. I mean, it was filmed in 100 days. 100 days. That's a grueling shoot for the casting crew. The movie itself takes place in 1901, and of that three hours and 20 minutes, Robert De Niro is only in it for 46 minutes and still manages to pull an Oscar-winning performance. He only speaks 17 words of English in the entire movie as well. It's interesting because in both this movie and Mean Streets, there's a scene where he is running on the rooftops and both are during a festival. And I'm pretty sure it's the same exact festival, but... 
Anyway, let's look at the movie from a financial standpoint. I mean, the movie was planned even before the first one was even finished because of the buzz and hype it was getting on a global scale. Everyone was talking about The Godfather when it first came out, even when it was advertised when people saw the trailer. So they obviously started planning the second one. Advanced bookings totaled to 26 million and 340 theaters in the USA. The budget for this film was roughly $13 million and it grossed nearly 50 million, so quadrupled its money almost. Now remember, big oscar-winning prestigious movies like this don't make big money they're not blockbusters so they usually don't make much i think i was just reading an interview with ridley scott this morning um about the last jewel and it didn't make him enough money um but i think it's going to do really well but he um really you should read the article um ridley scott was basically blaming the millennials it's like you can't watch anything unless you're on your cell phone you really hate cell phones but um anyway yeah uh so what am i talking about yeah the budget so yeah they quadrupled their money they made 50 million but i mean yeah, I know you hear of movies like Peter Jackson making 200 million pound movies and, you know, grossing over $800 million a year. Those films don't make Oscars. These films here, people that never, you know, people that don't bat an eyelid to it, you know, are the films that really are in contention for winning the bigger awards. I mean, Shawshank Redemption didn't make its money back as a massive flop and look where it is now. So there you go. So, um, Al Pacino was a half, a, you know, uh, was paid half a million. Half a million plus 10% shares of the profit for this movie. The first film he earned over just $25,000. I say only, but it's still a lot of money. And that was only two years ago. After that, he was paid half a million. So quite the increase. So he made Serpico a great film. I don't know if you've seen Serpico. It's an amazing film. Um, he had quite the five years in the 70s. So he made Serpico in between that. And, and that film only took like 19 days to film. So he was causing a bit of problems on the set of Godfather Part 2, demanding a bigger salary and rewriting the script. And every time he didn't get his way, he would just threatened to quit and say it only took 19 days to shoot Serpico this one's taken over 100 blah 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 um but obviously you know he stayed for the movie Talia Shear who you probably know has um Adrian from Rocky was only paid $1,500 for the first movie as Connie I mean she's not in it for long but still $1,500 uh this movie she got 30,000 with a 10 grand bonus as the movie went over 27 million at the gross which it did uh James Kahn who ironically uh played Sonny in the first movie I say ironically he just played Sonny in the first movie was paid the same amount of money um, for the role he had in the first movie, um, which is ridiculous. So he asked Coppola, "Listen, I'll be in, I'll be in the flashback for you, no problem, but I want to be paid exactly the same." And he's literally in it for like less than two minutes, and he got paid exactly the same. I don't know how much it is, but you know he's a quite a significant character in the first movie, so I assume quite a bit for the cameo. So the film had some iconic lines, like uh, most classic quotes, or um, you know, loads of big films have big quotes, and like any classic does. And much like the first movie, I'm going to make him an after he can refuse. This film film had bred life to some new ones that also survived the test of time most notably and many people don't even know it's from this movie like i mentioned before so the line and everyone's heard this in loads of movies i like to keep my friends close and my enemies closer uttered none other than robert de niro and he also manages to utter the first movie's landmark quote i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse he says it in sicilian but he says it uh, but the other line that seems to be quite iconic is we are bigger than u.s steel um so if you've ever heard these referenced in movies or you know part of these quotes in movies it's from the godfather part two so there you go and you can never decide what lines or performances are going to stick in the pages of history it's always found that the line you broke my heart freddo in this movie that's the one i thought would be you know one of the best quotes because i always got chills when al pacino grabs his face and says you broke my heart freddo i think it's a famous line anyway but you know others apparently superseded it so, with a film that shows a total of, what, 16 deaths, starring five Oscar winners, seven Oscar nominees, a film that is considered the greatest sequel in history, the film sure does live up to its reputation. 
in case you haven't seen it is a it's, you know it's as fresh as as fresh as another movie can be for a sequel i mean the bleak undertone of this movie doesn't reflect the tone or style of the filmmaking it's a remarkable movie that can stand alone from the two other films and be a masterpiece all on its own the film set the benchmark on what a film more specifically a film sequel could be and most interestingly what a story could be hence the monumental feat of consistency in storytelling done in three films and still managing to convince people that this part two is better than the first how many films can you say that about how many films can you say that the second movie is better than the first i mean the interesting theme that the first hovered over wasn't that of power and respect but that of the idea that you can't escape your responsibilities of your so-called destiny i mean it's so cheesy but everyone's destined to be somewhere whether it's the family business or to be in the uh, i don't know the art industry it doesn't matter how much you try to avoid it or in denial about some things you just end up there you know life just has a funny way of doing it and then godfather does that meticulously i mean michael corleone He's the youngest son of Vito. He's the son that actually escapes all of this, this crime, this family business. He serves in World War II and dates an innocent school teacher. And yet, Sonny, the one who you think is going to take over, the older brother, dies. Hagen isn't his real son. And well, Fredo isn't, you know, he's considered stupid and dumb. So the buck falls on him to take over the family business. So it doesn't matter how far you try to escape things. If you go to war, if you date whoever you want to date to just prove to yourself that you are not that person, well, it always catches up with you in the end. And, you know, Godfather 2 is heavily referenced, like I said, with quotes, but also storytelling as well. Just look at, oh, I don't know, Peaky Blinders, for instance, three brothers and the youngest one's the lead, uh, you know, the middle child or the lead, the youngest one is the lead one. And that's completely taken from Godfather. So um, Peaky Blinders is basically a ripoff of Godfather. Just... Uh, Done in Bristol or Liverpool, wherever it's set, it's one of the two. I think it's filmed in Liverpool and set in Bristol. Can't remember. But it's pretty good. I love Killian Murphy anyway, so yeah, no fault there. But it makes that dinner scene at the end all the more interesting to watch. I mean, because we know the fate of all these characters now, and that's what I love about this sort of style of structure, because you're looking at flashbacks knowing how the story's gonna end up. You know, Sonny dies, Fredo betrays his younger brother, and Michael has him killed. And it's you know, it's so naive and innocent, that table sequence at the end. And it really shows you how you just never know how life can turn out. I mean, there's no denying that part two is far more cinematic and ambitious in its style and filmmaking. That is backed up by the Best Art Direction Awards for this award, uh, movie, when the first one didn't even get a nomination. I mean, the first film set the standards of what a mafia film should be, and that's exactly what Coppola gave us in the light, the war between the Corleones and the five families. But the second, goes a step further it's deliberating how you should differentiate family and a crime movie it's deliberately paced with great story development and it spans over different countries generations time periods and the big winner here is the subplot of this movie which makes godfather part two the better movie in my opinion the sad takeaway from this is, and I've mentioned this before, is the comparison of the two stories. One is building his empire, whilst the other story, the present one, is breaking the family's empire. Uh, and it's quick. It's, 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 it's amazingly done through the edits and cuts, and they're done to perfection to making you feel sympathetic to how this family has come so far, for only to end in betrayal, death, and misery. I mean. The obvious reason why this film is a classic for me is the acting. The acting is just on point and every single person here is on fire. Now, yes, the one does this one doesn't have Marlon Brando, but it didn't need him. It didn't need Marlon Brando. And they said, you know, fuck him. We don't need him. I mean, they invited him. He didn't come along for the ride. Well, there you go. Still won the Oscar. Still won Best Film. And it got five acting categories. There are only four acting categories. It got five acting nominations. Jesus. 
It's simply a masterclass in acting. If you're an aspiring actor or you're trying to get into acting, just watch anyone in this film. Anyone of a speaking part in this film. It is flawless, honestly. Um, I mean, it's the dark side of power. It's the repercussions of taking responsibility for everyone. Being the head of the family, being on top simply has one outcome. The only rise to go through the people you love. And realistically speaking, when you're on top, you can't move. You just have to manage it. You have to maintain it. So the flow is always on the decline. And that's what this movie shows. The relationship with powerful people, his marriage, the jealousy of the fights with his siblings, the betrayal. And that's what being a Don, being head of a mafia family is all about. And the ending for the movie is just tremendous. I mean, uh, tremendous. It's just, uh, yeah, it's really hard hitting that scene when the fishing boat, it's just, uh, it hits home. I mean, both the endings for Godfather Part 1 and Godfather Part 2 are great endings. I mean, one shouldn't really compare it. They're both brilliant films. One does have to say that they're not all, se- you know, not all sequels are bad. And if they're done with taste and compassion, not with the idea of money and box office gross in their heads, I mean, they can be done right. And Coppola's care is only for the story, hence why it took him like 13 years to make the third Godfather film because he simply just didn't want to do it. And he's like, well, I'm going to do it right. And it didn't need to be done. You don't need to be, you know, you don't need to round things up with a number. It's just this story ends here and that's all that needs to be done. But no, the producers had their way. And in 1990, they had the Godfather part three, still a good film, but it doesn't come anywhere close to the first two. But yeah, like he didn't really want to do the second one unless he was left alone. Sadly, the third didn't follow on the footsteps of the first two and win Biss Picture, but it lives on nonetheless as one of the best trilogies in cinematic history. But anyway, that's all I have time for with The Godfather Part 2, an amazing sequel. I'm sure everyone can agree with that. That's easily going to live on as one of the greats. And even 50, 60 years later from when it came out, it's still on the top five of all movies and all major lists from respected film, websites, magazine, critics, and directors on a consistent level for the last 70, 60 years. So it's a good movie. You should watch it. Anyway, you can subscribe to me on Apple iTunes, Google, and Spotify. And you can give me a follow on Instagram. That's film exploration, A-H, or lowercase, or one word. But once again... Thank you for listening to Film Exploration with Ash Hurry.